Our passage today comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. On September 15th, 2019, I preached the first sermon in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and next Sunday, I'll preach the final one. In the first sermon, I said, if you listen to the whole of the Sermon on the Mount instead of picking and choosing the passages you like, I guarantee that you'll feel uncomfortable. And so it is with that guarantee in mind that we enter into this text today. I want to continue on with that guarantee of making us a bit unsettled and uncomfortable as we look at the teaching of Jesus. Today we're going to look at three contrasts. We're going to look at two ways to live, we're going to look at two kinds of fruit, and we're going to look at two kinds of commitment. Two ways to live, two kinds of fruit, and then and sort of two sorts of commitment that we see here in Matthew chapter 7. See, with Jesus, as he's teaching in here, it's either this way or that way. It's, it's proved then by this kind of fruit or that kind of fruit, and that comes from a life of obedience to him from the heart or a life of lip service and religious activity. So two ways to live, two kinds of fruit, and two sorts of commitment. Now, I get that some of you would like a little more nuance than either this or that kind of message. It's just that Jesus does not provide us more nuance than that in this text. Maybe you'd like a little less this or that and a little bit more conversation. Or maybe you'd like Jesus to be less binary in that way and perhaps include some shades of gray in his teaching. But that will not serve us well as we try to listen and apply the teaching of Jesus to our lives of obedience as we walk with him. The approach to narrowing the focus with a this way or that way kind of message, it, 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 this approach is in place so that we understand the gravity of his message and what he's actually saying here in the Sermon on the Mount. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said, humanly speaking, it is possible to understand the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand different ways. But Jesus knows only one possibility. Simply surrender, a simple surrender and obedience. Not interpreting or applying it, but doing and obeying it. This is the only way to hear his words. He does not mean for us to discuss it as an ideal. He really means for us to get on with it. So the Sermon on the Mount emphasizes knowing Jesus and obeying his teaching. So everything that we've covered in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 so far is intended to be lived and obeyed, and that's why Jesus offers us a this or that approach. 
Um, very interesting. There's actually a document that was written within, I think, about the first hundred years after Jesus' death and resurrection. It was a document that was written to uh, pass along the teaching of Jesus, pass along the teaching of the apostles uh, as it pertained to making disciples. It's actually, it's, it's called the Didache or the teaching. Uh, it deals with all three of these this or that things that we find here in Matthew 7 and the document itself actually has no less than 22 quotes from Matthew's gospel. So we know that when the document was written very early in the life of the church, they had Matthew's gospel in the form that we have it now. But listen to how it opens. It says there are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between these two ways. Now this is the way of life. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, your neighbor as yourself. And whatever you do not wish to happen to you, do not do to another. So this is echoing the teaching that I looked at last week, uh, the, the, the relationships that we have in the life of the church, the relationship that we have with God, and the relationships that we have with one another. It's a clear summary of the great commandment to love God and love your neighbor, and uh, it's a summary of the golden rule. And it really speaks to the this or that way of life that we find in Jesus. And we find in our text today. So just let's look at it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So he says there are two pathways that he, we have here at the beginning. Uh, there are two pathways that, that have at their beginning, pardon me, at their very point of origin, at the, at the trailhead, so to speak, of the pathways that we have set before us, we find two gates. We find an entrance to either pathway. It's an invitation from Jesus to enter into the way of the kingdom of heaven kind of life, that there is a narrow gate that leads to that way. There's the wide gate and the narrow gate. There's the wide gate that leads to destruction and the narrow gate that leads to life. Now, let me remind you of something very important as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. Let me remind you that Jesus is talking to a diverse crowd, no different than I think I probably am today. Jesus is talking to a diverse crowd of people. Some were seriously religious people who thought they had some things figured out. Some were notorious sinners that had been rejected by maybe those religious people. And yet others were already disciples of Jesus. See, if you're a religious person and you read this passage, you think, yes, those notorious sinners are definitely on the wide pathway to destruction. And if you're a religious person and you read the text and that's your assumption, you might miss the fact that religious actions here, even the really narrow and moral religious actions that you might think uh, are bringing you onto the right religious team, you, the right religious narrow roadway, those actions aren't going to save you. See, it's actually those narrow religious leaders who had Jesus crucified. On the other hand, if you're a totally secular person with no religious affiliation whatsoever, uh, maybe you've got some religious ideology working in your life, you've personally curated your own spiritual life, you've tried to glean from all different worldviews and world religions to create your own personal spirituality, you might think, no, no, Jesus, the pathway to life is not narrow like you're talking about it. It's actually being yourself and living your truth and embracing all of the different pathways that are in front of us towards spiritual flourishing. Jesus comes at it with a completely different point of view. 
See, religious people read this text and assume that they're on the straight and narrow path, uh, not the wide and easy path that leads to destruction. They think the wide and easy path that leads to destruction is, is like the, the ACDC song, Highway to Hell. And because they're not living on the highway to hell, they think that they're, therefore, they must be on the narrow path to life. It's just that isn't necessarily true. ACDC talks about highway to hell and says, you know, living easy, loving free, season ticket. Yes, I am going to quote the song. Season ticket on a one-way ride. Asking nothing, leave me be, taking everything in my stride. Don't need reason, don't need rhyme. Ain't nothing I'd rather do. Going down party time, my friends are going to be there too. I'm on the, I'm on the highway to hell. That's the overt life that leads to destruction. And so for the religious person, if you're not on the overt way that leads to destruction, and you're not intentionally doing that, it's very easy to be lulled into a sense of complacency that you must then be on the narrow path that leads to life. But what if Jesus is talking to the religious people just as much as he's talking to the quote-unquote notorious sinners here? What if Jesus is talking to outwardly religious people who have not yet had their hearts inwardly transformed by the person and work of Christ? There's the wide gate that leads to destruction and there's the narrow gate that leads to life. Which gate have you come through? Verse 15 in our text says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Again, Jesus says this way or that. Now, fruit takes a while to grow. If you were to plant some mystery seed in your garden, and if you were tending that seed and watering that seed and then paying attention to it as it grows, not knowing what seed you planted, but only seeing the evidence of what was growing, it would take a while to grow in such a way that you could see the outcome of the observable life of that plant, the observable fruit growing. Same goes for false teachers. You have to pay attention. He's saying, don't get caught up with the message and don't get caught up with the compelling personality, the compelling nature of some false teacher, but look at the fruit of their life. And you say, well, look at the fruit of their life measured against what? Who do we compare it to? That's what the Sermon on the Mount has been talking about for two and a half chapters. This is what it looks like to live as Jesus' people. The whole of Scripture is a good measurement to Good fruit versus bad fruit. So is the life of Jesus. Now look what Jesus says next. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Notice verse 21. It says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does my, the, the will of my Father who's in heaven. See, mere religious lip service does not grant you life in the kingdom of heaven. 
It comes down to obedience to Jesus. Look at verses 22 and 23 again. It says, there are religious people who prophesied in Jesus' name, and they delivered people in Jesus' name, and they did mighty works in Jesus' name. Jesus says, I never knew you. One translation says, those works were unauthorized. They were not in obedience to my Father who is in heaven. They were unauthorized works. See, the religious people who offer lip service to Jesus and the religious people who do good works they, they think are for Jesus, they have the same end as those totally irreligious people because they don't know him. See, when Jesus said, I never knew you to, to these fraudulent disciples, perhaps disciples of the false teachers, he meant that he never recognized them as his true disciples or as his friends. He never had anything in common with them. He never approved of them. They were no relation of his. He never knew them. Listen, Jesus is not breaking off relationships here. What he's saying is that there was never a relationship to break off. They were not his people. They sounded like his people. They did works like his people, but they are not his people. They had no intimacy with Jesus. They, they were not dwelling in their union with Christ. They were not walking in relationship with him. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. See, the invitation of Jesus is to the religious person and the irreligious alike. The invitation to enter the narrow gate is for the person who has given mere lip service to Jesus and sought to earn their way to God by their good works. And the invitation to enter the narrow gate is for the person who has no idea who Jesus is. And what Jesus is making abundantly clear in this text is that he himself is the gate. And if you don't enter through him, the eventual fruit of your life will reveal who you really serve. There are only two gates, yes, but Jesus knows what we all know if we just stop and think about it a little. There's the narrow gate of Jesus, and after we enter through it, we are on the difficult path, but it's a difficult path of walking with him that leads to life. And there's the wide gate that leads to destruction, but the pathways on the other side of the gate look like all kinds of different lives. There are many pathways on the other side of the wide gate that leads to destruction. It's good moral living that denies Jesus and its good works. That looks very different than drug dealing and crime. They are separate, different-looking paths, yes, but they are separate, parallel paths on the wide road that leads to destruction. The only way to life has its point of origin in the person of Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, earlier in John's gospel, in, in John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd to the flock of God. He's talking about how he is the good shepherd to the sheep who are God's people. He says, I am the good shepherd. But he also says he's the gate. Look at this in John 10, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. See, Jesus is the door that leads the sheep to find the green pastures of kingdom life. Jesus is the narrow gate that leads to the difficult pathway where we walk along headed in and toward kingdom life. And Jesus is the good shepherd who keeps us and shepherds us as we walk that difficult pathway with him. In the kingdom of heaven, there's this paradox. It's the narrow gate that leads to a wideness of kingdom life and joy and peace. And then there's this wide gate that leads to the narrowness of destruction. We enter the narrow gate that leads to life. He's talking about the wide gate that leads to destruction. And see, in the kingdom of heaven, we don't enter by doing, we enter by the gate. We don't enter by doing, we enter through what Jesus has done. We don't come along and pry open the gate through some kind of merit on our own. We hear the call of our good shepherd who invites us into life through him. In the kingdom of heaven, you don't come to Jesus at the end of the age and you don't roll out your list of religious accomplishments and you, you actually come and say, hey Jesus, I'm yours. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, on the wide path, you come with all of your religious good works, and you say, see Jesus, I did all of this stuff for you. Jesus says, depart from me, I didn't know you. But on the narrow path, you enter into kingdom life by no goodness of your own, and then you are free. Then you are free, in fact, compelled to devote yourself to good works. This is how you know you're doing the will of your Father who is in heaven. See, the point of origin matters. The point of origin matters. So Christ City, did you come through? Did you come through the narrow gate of Jesus? Are you following the good shepherd who knows his sheep and whose sheep know his voice? Or have you been persuaded by the voice of the wolf in sheep's clothing? Are you living in the strength and merit of your own good works? Or are you living in the strength and merit of Jesus' good works on your behalf? The point of origin matters. Let me tell you, it was not the ravenous wolves who laid down their life for the sheep. Go to John 10 once again. In verse 7, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, steal, kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verses 13 and 14 of our text in Matthew 7, the this way or that way of the two gates becomes evident to us. In verses 15 to 20, we have the this way or that way of two kinds of fruit. In verses 21 to 23, we have the this way or that way of outward religious activity compared to the uh, heart-level obedience that comes from entering through the narrow gate, which is Jesus himself. Jesus is the gate. It's the only way to eternal life. 
Jesus is the good shepherd who keeps us and leads us home. Jesus is the perfectly obedient one who showed us what obedience to his heavenly father really looks like. Jesus' sinless life and Jesus' atoning death show us what it means to perfectly obey our Father. But with that comes the reality that Jesus' perfect obedience opens the gate. It opens the narrow way to eternal life. Jesus is our perfectly obedient example, yes, but thanks be to God, he is not only our example or his perfection may in fact crush us. We could never uphold the standard of perfection that he lived with. But the good news, Christ City, is that he did it for you. For anyone who will come to him, anyone who will hear his invitation to enter through the narrow gate, he will for them be their good shepherd. For anyone who will bring him their sin, who will confess their sin to him and turn from it, he will give them the gift of his righteousness. The good news is he invites you into the kingdom of the narrow way. He invites you into kingdom life on the narrow way. It's not an easy life. But it's a life where you can be assured that the good shepherd will lead you home. Listen. Don't delay. Enter through the narrow gate of Jesus. If you're gathered or gathering with your house church online, it is time to prepare for communion. The glorious celebration that Jesus has infinitely accomplished everything that would ever need for us to be saved. That we can unburden ourselves of the thought that we need to measure up. That we need to somehow merit the salvation that is offered by Jesus. See, no, we come by grace through faith in Jesus alone. We don't come because we've earned it by proving the example of what we've earned and add Jesus on in some sort of supplementary way. No, 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 no. We come to him by grace alone, through faith alone. We come in Christ alone. He is the gate. And when we come and celebrate communion together, what we're doing is taking the bread and the wine, the body of Jesus that was broken for us as he died for our sin. And we're celebrating that reality that he died for us, atoning for our sin upon the cross where his blood was shed. We take the wine. The reality that Jesus died, literally died in our place, accomplishing all that we would ever need to be saved. We must only put our faith in him. Then we're free to live lives of obedience, lives of good works. We're empowered by his spirit to live lives that glorify him in every way. But it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord that he has opened the narrow gate for us that we can enter into life. So as we take communion today as followers of Jesus, repenting of our sin, turning and placing our faith in him, recognizing that we desperately need what he has accomplished for us, we are celebrating the truth that he is the one and only way to life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne as your children We come before your throne because of the satisfaction Jesus made in our place for our sin. We come before your throne because he has gifted to us his righteousness that that not only would our sin be forgiven, but that we would have a right standing before you. We come before your throne in the power of your Holy Spirit. And my prayer right now in this moment, Father, as I lean into you, 
And Lord, I pray that those who are with me would lean into you and just say, come Holy Spirit. Do a work in me. Reveal the truth of the gospel to me in greater depth. Highlight needs around me that I might serve you. Cause me to be a disciple who lives for your glory alone. Thank you for the narrow gate. Thank you for the narrow path. And thank you for the life everlasting. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.